You're listening to Funky Monkey MMA. Listening to Funky Monkey MMA. Welcome back to another edition of Funky Monkey MMA. I know it's been a while. Uh, we've been away from podcasting for a while, but luckily we have everything set up again. We're good to go. And what better card to come back with than UFC 214? It's one of the biggest cards of the year. It has some of the biggest fights of the year. Some of the most anticipated matchups that we've seen in quite a long time. And this is just going to be our predictions podcast for it. Um, if you guys haven't seen these before, the way it works is that each this will be divided into two episodes. This episode will contain the prelims, and then the second episode will contain the tele, the uh, main card pay-per-view. So uh, starting off here, we're going to start from the first prelim, the first prelim on UFC Fight Pass, and then work our way up until the last televised prelim, which I believe is on FXX. And uh, joining me today, we have Matt Webb. Uh, how are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing great, Kane. All right, sounds good. All right, well, I think we should just go ahead and jump right into it then. We'll start with this first uh, UFC Fight Pass prelim. We have a matchup in the lightweight division between Josh Berkman and Drew Dober. Uh, kind of a matchup here between the very experienced vet in Berkman and then kind of the up-and-comer in Drew Dober. Drew Dober has a lot of fights, but he's still kind of a younger guy. And his UFC career is still, I would say, relatively in its years in, uh, so still kind of young compared to Berkman. Berkman is very experienced. He fought all the way back on the second season of The Ultimate Fighter. He's kind of fought all over the place. He fought in the UFC, fought in World Series of Fighting, really fought a who's who of his division. Um, he's very experienced, but he does appear to be on the decline right now. He has lost five of his last six fights. Uh, his chin has looked very shaky, and his durability just kind of seems to be going out the window right now, which isn't surprising after uh, after having competed in the sport for so long. We're finding Drew Dober. Dober, uh, he has good Muay Thai, and his grappling has improved over the years. It's a real weakness for him for a while, but his wrestling looked a lot better in the Scott Holtzman fight. And... Uh, on top of that, uh, so his Muay Thai is obviously very good. He shut off his power with his knockout over Jason Gonzalez, but he has been a bit inconsistent in the UFC. You know, he'll rack up a couple of wins and then lose again, or, you know, so he hasn't been able to really put together a solid win streak and establish himself as a prospect. But this fight could help him do that, though. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on this uh, on this starting matchup? Yeah, I'm on a similar page as you are as far as, Dober's concern when uh when he first got in the UFC, you know he had some decent performances his fights against Sean Spencer and Nick Khan. He lost them both, but Sean Spencer and Nick Khan are both very um good competitors. They're both pretty experienced. And then as of late, you know the Scott Holtzman win was big, like you said, because Scott Holtzman is a good fighter and a good up and comer in that weight class. 
And then the Jason Gonzalez knockout was sensational. I love that. I love that knockout. I love that fight. The just the the killer instinct he showed in that fight when he had Gonzalez against the cage and just went combination for combination and just slept him at the end was it was a breakout performance. And then they pitted him against uh, Aban Mercier, who I think this is the big difference. And this is where the difference between Drew Dober at 155 as a journeyman and Drew Dober at 155 as a actual future competitor, like contender. Mm-hmm. That fight, that fight to me was a crossroads fight between two guys, similar age. And you could see that Dober is leaning more towards a journeyman. You know, he's three and four in the UFC, and he's already starting to establish a journeyman gatekeeper type of, you know, recognition. And they're kind of putting him in spots like that. And then also, Aubin Mercier ended up winning the fight, which, you know, sprung him forward. And I think it, the main thing is it shows the difference between elite-level prospects and decent fighters. And I think the main difference, and or not necessarily the main difference, but the main reason that Dober can't be, I mean, maybe he could. Shit happens. I mean, he could in the next few years you know, just excel on every level, but his athleticism, he's not going to scare you with it. He's not, he's not really, you know, athletic freak as, for instance, Aubin Mercier is, or even some other guys like, you know, some guys he's fought like Nick Hine and Scott Holtzman. So athleticism, he doesn't have that in spades. I think he's going to be a middle of the road lightweight for the rest of his career. He's got a, an adept boxing game. He understands angles. He understands distance. He understands footwork. He understands timing. Timing, he does understand really well, and that's a good, that's probably the best part of his game. And when he plants his feet, he does generate respectful power. But that's about, you know, all I can really say uh, as far as, you know, the advantages he has against his opponents. But a lot of his opponents, they're they're quicker than he is. They're, you know, they're more explosive than he is. They... In the lightweight division, it's hard. It's hard to even become, you know, where he's at is a testament because I think he's gone farther than his athletic prowess would have him go. He's young. He could still become a trickier fighter. As far as the fight with Berkman, Berkman has looked like a shell of his former uh, former self. He has looked just just completely different, completely off. I mean, is this a lightweight? I'm pretty sure this is a lightweight. Is this a lightweight fight? Yeah, it's it's 155. Yeah, I hate I hate that. He looks even worse. He looks Bertman looks weak, drained, just no pop. Just looks whatever is left of him is that welterweight. The cut to 155. I don't understand why he's doing it because I think I mean if he loses this one, he's out. So yeah, you would think that he would. Yeah, you would think that he would want a fight at 170 where he could perform as best, but now he's fighting this fight at 155. I just don't see how he can win. I mean, the way I see it going is I see Jordan going in, essentially just out uh, outboxing him, you know, landing his leg kicks, just out 
throwing his way into a decision by just point, not point fighting because Drew Dober likes to throw down. Maybe he can get a knockout, but if I had to guess, it's Drew Dober by decision by just being more active, honestly. Yeah, I I see it the same way. Um, one, a big hindrance uh, for Dober, on top of the stuff that you said, has been his defense, both in the striking and in his grappling. Um, I think, you know, we've seen in his fights, uh, like against Olivier Alvin Mercier, like against Efrain Escudero and Nick Hine, he just, you know, he, he tends to get hit quite a bit, and on the ground he tends to make a lot of mistakes, which ends up costing him the fight. And that is something I always kind of keep an eye on, but I'm not sure if Berkman can just capitalize on those openings because, like you said, he, he, he lacks that that pop that he had before. He lacks that killer instinct. And I think that that will allow Dober to really control this fight. Um, a knockout from Dober wouldn't surprise me because... Like I said, even though Berkman has, he's only lost one fight in his career uh, due to strikes, and that was against Patrick Cote, but his chin has still looked really shaky to me, and Dober has shown some decent power, so it wouldn't be surprising if Dober got the finish, but like you, I'm also going with Drew Dober via unanimous decision here. All right, and with that, we'll move on to the next matchup. It is a flyweight matchup between Eric Shelton and Jared Brooks. Eric Shelton, uh, we got to know him on The Ultimate Fighter, and he looked really good on there. That was the the flyweight cha- uh, the, the flyweight tournament, um, and he did very well on that show. He made it all the way to the semifinals, and where he even though he came up short to Tim Elliott, he looked really good in that fight. I mean, Tim Elliott even said that he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been surprised if Eric Shelton uh, had been given the decision in their fight. It really shows how good Shelton is. Um, he'll be facing Jared Brooks, who has a 12-0 record coming into the UFC. He was originally scheduled to face Ian McCall at UFC 208, but that fight got canceled. Uh, Brooks has some pretty good wrestling. He has powerful takedowns, a strong top game, and he's faced a decent level of competition. Brooks just kind of strikes me as one of those kind of power wrestlers who likes to pick you up and slam you down and isn't overly active on the ground, but, you know, he's kind of there's short shots. He goes for submission attempts, and he does enough to get the job done. Um, but he is facing a very a very tough guy in Shelton, though. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts here? First things first, Jared Brooks' nickname, The Monkey God. Hands down, the best nickname I've heard in some <laughs> time. Wow, I mean, that, that is a good nickname, yeah. I wonder who gave yeah, that to that's, him. That's, that's good. I don't, I, I don't know. If he gave it to himself, that's the only time I would, you know, check mark and nickname given to yourself because that's an awesome nickname. Anyway, back to the fight. Okay, so I think the big deal in the fight, mainly with Jared Brooks, is he's 12 and 0. So being undefeated, usually you see undefeated fighters come in with a chip on their shoulder and they don't know how to lose, which is really reliable and a really good um, mental side of the game to lean on the there is like the you know the good things about jared brooks is like you said he's that you know he's explosive that guy is explosive and he throws the kitchen sink at you in what seems like every shot he plants his feet he he plants his feet throws bombs constant pressure violent the entire time if he gets top control on you he's going to be throwing shots as long as he's on top of you you can bet he's throwing 
to hurt you every single time. He's he's a good prospect for flight weight. One thing that I kind of noticed and I kind of just just like an addendum is that, or not necessarily an addendum, but just like a knock on him is he seemed. And I'm not sure if you you know caught this too. I'm sure you did, but he seemed kind of a little slow for flyweight. Like off release, his you know his explosion and his mm-hmm. in the in the straight right and some of his shots, the explosion was there and it came off quick. But overall, with combination uh, punching as far as agility goes and getting out of the way and cutting angles, he seemed very slow to me. Especially on when he uh, when he tries to counter, he gets hit much more than I would like to see. So I, that's just one thing that just stood out. And he's also pretty young. In his frame, he seems like he may be more fit for 135 in the future. So mm-hmm. I'm not even sure how long he can fight at this weight class. He just seems a tad bit slow for my liking for flyweight. But, I mean, I think the main thing about Jared Brooks is his biggest virtue, which is pressure and explosion, is also his biggest vice because his aggression that he, you know, that he leans on and that he fights with to break his opponents, at this high of level, that aggression can be working against you. And the fighter who he's facing in Eric Shelton is the guy who will use your own aggression against you. Eric Shelton is just a master at scrambling. His, you know, his last loss was a close fight to Pantoja. Pantoja mm-hmm. is a top 10 flight. He's a top 10 flyweight. I actually yeah, picture Pantoja... Yeah. I mean, I picture him fighting for the belt sometime in the next few years. Eric Shelton's smooth. He's like water. He's going to not go against you. He's going to go with you during the fight. And, I mean, he's unorthodox. He's hard to get a read on. He's really intelligent. He's he's really, and the main thing about Eric Shelton is his patience, both on the ground and both on the feet. And I think the patience of Eric Shelton and the ingr- and the aggression an explosion of Jared Brooks works in Shelton's favor due to the fact that Shelton's strengths are Brooks's weaknesses. Is that is that what you're getting from this game? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, Brooks, he's not the fastest guy. I think it's because, yeah, he carries around a lot of muscle because he's such a powerful guy, and that helps with his strength, but that does affect his speed quite a lot. And I think that Shelton can definitely take advantage of that because Shelton, he's very well-rounded. He has very good defensive grappling, like we saw in the show and against and in his last fight, too, in his debut. He's very athletic. He's very explosive. And I think that that'll definitely help him here. I think that while Brooks, if he can get Shelton on his back, he'll definitely have success. But Shelton is the far more well-rounded guy. He has the better striking and I think that he has more tools on the ground as well. I think his jiu-jitsu is a little bit better, but I think his defensive wrestling is actually a little bit better as well. And so for me, I think Shelton just has more more areas to have success in this fight, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you on that point. I think mm-hmm. as far as picking the fight goes, for me, you know, the main thing I said, like Shelton's strengths are Brooks' weaknesses. I see Shelton yeah. being, the, being the matador to Brooks is bull this entire fight. I actually think mm-hmm. Shelton's going to have a good explosive fight with him, a good scrambling fight. And I think Shelton is eventually going to wear him down and in the third round probably sink in a choke or sink in some type of submission. I'm going okay. with Shelton round three submission. I just, 
first fight for Jared Brooks in the UFC, Shelton is more comfortable, and that's how I just see it going, in my opinion. Yeah, I I see it going the same way. I lean towards a decision for Shelton. The late finish wouldn't surprise me. I think I'm just leaning more towards a decision for him. A big factor is also just the competition that Shelton has faced and how good he's looked, uh, both on the Ultimate Fighter and in just his his UFC debut as well. He saw guys like Tim Elliott and Alexander Pendosian had really close fights, and he's he's only 26, and he's he's still improving right now. And I think that those fights are still signs of how good he can be in the future. So I think the level of competition and the success that he's had there are big factors uh, that will aid him well in this fight. I'm going with Eric Shelton via unanimous decision. And uh, with that, we will move on to the final fight pass prelim. We go to the women's strawweight division with Caitlin Curran taking on Alexandra Aldu. This is a really, really tricky fight here. Um, so, Kaylin Curran, she has lots of UFC experience, but she's had uh, very little success. She has only won one of her five UFC fights, and that was against Emily Kagan. Uh, she came up short against Paige Van Zandt in her debut. And even though she looked, even though she lost that fight, she still looked really promising but she just hasn't really been able to put forward any momentum in the UFC. She can get very sloppy with her offense. Like in her fight with Alex Chambers, she was dominating that fight. She was riding to a decision, but Alex uh, Alex Chambers caught her in an arm bar that was just like, I mean, it wasn't particularly like sneaky. It didn't like come out of nowhere. I thought that Curran was going to be able to defend it really well, but she wound up getting submitted right there. Um, uh, Curran got a win over Emily Kagan, and she got the finish, but she still seemed to struggle there. And then she came up short to Felice Herrig. She was submitted in the first round there, and then she lost a decision to do, to Jamie Moyle in her last fight. So I think this is really do or die for Kaylin Curran right now. She's 4-4 four and four as a professional, and she came into the UFC at 3-0 and undefeated. So this is just a big moment for her. This is she has to win now, or we're likely not going to see her in the UFC from this point on. Um, and she's facing Alexander Albu, who she's only two and zero as as a professional, not even two and zero in the UFC, but a two and zero professional career, and only one of those has been in the UFC, and that was all the way back in 2015. You know, and it was she looked all right in there. I mean, she she got the second round submission, but there are tons of question marks around her because there are so many. She's still so young in her career. She's coming off of a long layoff, and there's just very little tape to really go off of. Uh, yeah, this this fight is just a giant question mark for me. Um, what are your thoughts on this one, Matt? My thoughts are the same as yours. I couldn't find like you were saying. Alexandra Albu is 2-0, you know, one fight in the UFC. I think the main thing is is how inactive she is. I mean, two mm-hmm. fights in four years. I mean, that's that's not even enough to get your feet wet. And her first fight in the UFC, it was a tough fight. I mean, the girl she fought was, you know, really game. The girl she fought was in there the entire time. They spent most of the fight in the clinch. It was a competitive fight, but, you know, kind of like you were saying, I just don't have enough tape to really – go off of in in the fight with in her debut i mean 
notes I took away was that she's very calm. She's very athletic. I mean, you could see her frame. She's a powerful young woman. She's got a solid base up against, and I think that's because she has a judo uh, judo background. Up against the fence, she was wearing out her opponent amidst the fight by defensive grappling against the fence. The her, her opponent was consistently trying to get you know, underhooks, trying to get takedowns, trying to do throws, trying to do head and arm throws. And Albu consistently denied those throws and consistently used the momentum of the fight to swing in her direction because how strong she is and because how good her base is. She's predominantly a counter-striker is what I saw in that fight. And she stays disciplined through the fight. And that is a key in this fight, is staying disciplined. Because on the opposite side, Curran, Colin Curran is not disciplined at all in her fights. Like you said, the win against Emily Kagan is not, you know, she's been given stiff competition in her you know, UFC career. She's never was given a gimme, but the Kagan fight was a gimme, in my opinion. Emily Kagan is, you know, as tough as they come, but she's a journey woman and probably didn't even really belong in the UFC. So... Helen Curran's career, she's getting more opportunities than she, quite frankly, deserves, which sounds kind of harsh, but she's one in four. I think if she went back, because she's still so young, if she went back, you know, to the regional circuit, she could get better. She could get, you know, more calm in her fight. She always seems to be fighting with a frantic pace to be fighting like she has to take a, like she has a doctor's appointment to get to. She's just mm-hmm. consistently getting in her own way in her fights. And that's that's the main takeaway that I have. I mean, as far as Kaylin Curran's physical attributes, she's big for the weight class. She's big. She's, you know, really strong. She's physical. She likes to stand and bang. She likes to trade. She enjoys doing and she enjoys the fighting mentality. And she has the warrior mentality. But it just seems when push comes to shove, she just freaks out and, you know, gives up submissions. It seems like on demand just to give them up, like the one against Alex Chambers and the Felice Herring one, which Felice Herring is a talented grappler and she does it to a lot of her opponents. But still, it just seems like she gets so frantic. And I think the confusion in her mind of not knowing what to do during a fight in every second of the fight is the main difference between Curran and Albu. Now, saying that, I've seen more Curran than Albu. So I'm leaning towards Curran. My exact thing I writ, uh, wrote down for my pick is a style of Curran plays into Albu's hands. Though Albu's inactivity could have ring rust, going with Curran, even though I'll regret it because she always finds a way to lose. <laughs> That's not good. That's not a good pick. You know what I mean? That's horrible. But that's just how I feel about it. So I'm going with Curran by decision. I don't want to. It's just based on the fact I've seen more of her, and that's all it is. So I don't know if Albu will have ring rust. I'm going with Curran on unanimous decision. Feel free to pick Albu and be one up on me in the picks category, Kane. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm also going with Curran here because it's kind of the same thing. Albu is the more technical fighter. From, From what little we've seen, she's more technical just because Curran gets so overly aggressive. But we've seen so much more from Curran, and she's faced tougher competition than Albu, and she's been more consistent. And there's just there's so many questions around Albu as well. You know, she has the long layoff. 
he has such little professional experience. I, I just, you know, it, it's difficult to pick a fighter with that many uncertainties around them. So even though, yeah, it's it's not a confident pick whatsoever because, you know, Kern, she's, she's, just, she's looked very unreliable as of late. And I would like to see her get some, some success here, but it's just been, we just haven't seen that from her yet. But I'm still going with Curran. Uh, like you, I think it'll be a decision. She might find the submission somewhere along the way, but throughout the fight, I mean, yeah, it's it's not going to be a, it's not a confident pick from me, but still I'm going with Kaylin Curran via unanimous decision. All right, and with that, we will move on to the televised prelims. Uh, kicking off these televised prelims, we have a matchup in the featherweight division. We have Andre Touchy Feely taking on promotional newcomer Calvin Cater. So Andre Feely, he's been in the UFC for a while now. He's still pretty young, only 27, and he's had some kind of he, – he, he's a very talented prospect, but he's definitely had consistency issues. He's rotated, you know, gone back and forth from wins and losses. You know, he looked very good in his debut, came up short after that, then looked good, then lost, then won, then lost. And he just hasn't been able to put any consistency or momentum together, um, which is a shame because I do think that he's a very talented guy and he fights out of a talented camp. He has good power in his hands and he has very good defensive wrestling. And I think that makes him a tricky matchup for a lot of fighters. And to his credit, he has lost to a lot of good prospects. You know, I mean, he he fought Max Holloway in in his second fight right now. He's you know Max Holloway is, is of course the champion. Um, you know, in his fight before last, he came up short against Gear Rodriguez, who's one of the top featherweights in the world right now. And so Philly has had tough competition, but he's just struggled to get consistency going. But I think that he can put some good wins together uh, based on his last fight, and then with this fight. Because he'll be facing promotional newcomer Calvin Cater. Uh, Duho Choi was originally supposed to be in this matchup, but he unfortunately had to pull out. So Cater will be stepping in. He's coming in with a 16 and 2 professional record, including eight straight wins. So obviously, really good on him. Uh, Cater is pretty well rounded, but I would say he shines mainly on the ground, particularly with his wrestling. He really likes to take his opponents down, uh, pass guard, use ground and pound, go for submissions, and really keep them busy uh, throughout the whole time. And he's shown good cardio, too. A lot of uh, decision wins on his record, which, even though that kind of hurts his finishing ability, it shows that he has the gas tank to go, uh, to really take the fight into deep waters if he needs to. So, I think Cater is a good uh, a good newcomer, but this will be a big test for him with Andre Feely in his UFC debut. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts here? I think Andre Feely, you know, Andre Feely's fun to watch. He's got that long jab, tall and lanky. He, one thing in his fights that he likes to be first. He wants to dictate the uh, pace in his fights, and he's extremely tricky in his fights. He's very hard to get a read on throughout his fights, constantly switching angles, switching uh switching stances, lateral movement, just a consistent puzzle to figure out. And Cater, like you said, is taking this fight on short no, uh, notice. Nothing really jumped out on the tape as dominant when I was breaking down Cater. Nothing jumped out to where I was like, okay, this guy is, I mean, he's next level. This guy is going to rise to the occasion. I think Cater is a good prospect. And I think that, you know, the 16-2 and two record, like you were saying, he has decision wins. But the other side of that decision, one shows that you're disciplined, shows that you have good cardio, shows that 
he may not have the finishing ability, but all in all, he's a good pro is what I would say. So my main takeaway from the fight is that Calvin Cater seems to be a good prospect. It's just the fact they step in on short notice yeah, against Andre Philly. That's just a bad matchup, horrible matchup for your debut. He could surprise me. Like I said, you never know. But that's just a bad or a, just not a matchup you want on your UFC debut. I mean, Andre Philly's a vet. He's been in there for a while now. He's fought, you know, Godfredo Pepe, uh, Pepe, Yair Rodriguez, like you said, Max Holloway. And, you know, his wins, when he does win, you know, he's four and three. He's kind of flipping between wins and losses. But when he does win, he does it in emphatic fashion. And I see him coming in there really confusing Cater in the fight. And that's the main thing. I think he's going to confuse Cater throughout the fight. And I think Cater is going to get rocked on the feet and then finished on the ground by submission is my pick. Andre Philly submission round two. Okay. Um, I also have a round two finish. I think that Philly will actually get it done with strikes. Um, in my opinion, um, I see it going kind of similar to Feely's fight with Hakran Diaz, where uh, Hakran Diaz really wanted to grapple with Feely, but Feely's grappling defense was too good, and then he just his striking was superior, and he managed to really hurt him on the feet. Um, yeah, I see it going kind of similar. Um, Kater might get some takedowns early on, may have some success, but. Healy's experience and his explosiveness, I think, will just be too much for him. Like you said, this is a tough matchup for a UFC debut. Under Healy is just tough, and he has really good killer instinct. I think that Feely can use his defensive wrestling to keep the fight on the feet, land those heavy hands that he has, hurt Cater, and I, I also have a round to finish, but I'm going with a TKO uh, for Andre Feely. And with that, we will continue with the next matchup, which is also in the featherweight division. We have Brian Ortega taking on Hinato Moicano. So Brian Ortega, he's looked pretty good as of late. He has great Brazilian jiu-jitsu, especially out of his guard with his triangle choke, and he also has really good elbows off of his back. Um, He's sometimes a slow starter from what we've seen, but he does have heart, uh, like we saw in the Tiago Tavares fight and in the Clay Guida fight as well, where he was able to rally and uh, and get late finishes. And then his striking is still green, but it is improving, and he's shown some good promise there as well. He'll be taking on Hinato Moicano, who has a 3-0 and UFC record. He's coming off of a big, big upset win over Jeremy Stevens in his last fight. Moicano has good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai. He has good, strong kicks. A very, pretty technical striker, but I would say he's best on the ground when he's able to use his Jiu-Jitsu. Um, kind of an interesting one here. I think that Ortega is the more dangerous guy with his submissions and his unpredictable striking, but I would say Moicano is the more technical guy, both on the feet and I'd say on the ground as well. He doesn't quite go for as many opportunities to finish, He's more technical, and he's able to really uh, win the fight uh, in more areas, I would say. But, uh, Matt, what are your what are your thoughts on this one? Brian Ortega is my favorite featherweight prospect right now. And Oh, wow. Yeah, this is like the fight in itself is stylistically. Moicano is a better match or not as good as a matchup as I like for Ortega right now in Ortega's career. 
but I do like that mm-hmm. it's a crossroads fight, kind of seeing who's going to take that next step into being a contender. McConnell coming off that win against Jeremy Stevens is huge. He essentially, what McConnell uh, wants to do is he wants to keep the distance the entire fight. He eats you up with the leg kicks, both inside yeah. and out on the exit and on the entry, much like he did against Jeremy Stevens the entire fight. Jeremy Stevens seemed frustrated in that fight, but Wakano's constant uh, movement, sound striking, he gets in and out very efficiently, and he's always scoring when he's in and out and on the break. He picks his opponent's part with volume. He's not a finisher, but he gets the job done as efficiently as you could possibly get a job done in the cage. So now on the flip side of that, you have, the complete opposite in Brian Ortega. Like you were saying, Brian Ortega is a slow starter. Now, the reason I think he is a slow starter is because how adaptive he is in his fights. He's mm-hmm. really adapt. He's, he likes, as the fight wears on, he's reading you. And that's what he did to Clay Guida. In the first two rounds, Guida was scoring on him. Guida was winning the fight. But as soon as the third round came, Ortega had already compiled enough information to figure out what he needed to do. And he ended up getting the knockout by a step-in knee and KOing one of the most durable chins in featherweight or lightweight division in Clay Guido. Mm-hmm. Every single fight he's in is a dog fight. There is no fight that has Brian Ortega's name on it that is not to death. And then he's a round three king. He's, his jiu-jitsu is amazing. He scrambles back and forth. He can get put in any position and find a way out. He can put you in any position and you won't be able to find a way out. I think, mm-hmm. and then also, you know, his fights, the guys he's fought in this three, you know, three and a run, the first fight against Mike Delator, he, you know, popped for steroids, which is a, you know, mark on your record. But Tiago Torres, Diego Brandau, Clay Guida, those are three really, really good guys in the division. Tough competitors. I was at, I was alive for the Tiago Tavares fight and it was crazy action the entire fight and which is what made me such a big brian ortega fan as i was there in the smoothie king in new orleans i just shook my head at the danger that ortega put himself in and just the overall heart and warrior mentality he has and that's why i enjoy watching him he reminds me of a diaz brother he's just consistent <laughs> pressure and just constantly on you and that's why i love sadly i have to go with moicon <laughs> all, oh, really? all that <laughs> Yeah, but I have to go with Moicano. And I think the winner of the fight is whoever's going to implement their game plan. If Moicano stays on the outside, uses lead kicks, constant movement to make sure Ortega cannot get a read on him and make sh- and keep Ortega guessing the entire time is how Moicano w- uh, wins the fight. Ortega, on the other hand, he does what he does every fight. He makes him into a dog fight. If he gets Moicano to the ground, Moicano uh, is in some serious trouble. And just make it gritty, make it bloody, do what Ortega does. But I just think Moicano is just stylistically a bad matchup for Ortega. If it was anybody else, and if it was Jeremy Stevens, I'd be picking Ortega. If it was, you know, a lot of big names in the featherweight division, I would honestly pick Ortega. But just how good Moicano is and how the matchup is, I like Moicano by decision. But Ortega finds a way to win. And they're both undefeated, so somebody, though, has to go. And it's super – I love this fight. I love it. What's your mm-hmm. thought? Yeah, I'm actually – I'm going with Ortega here. Um, 
Like we said, so Watona has very strong kicks, and I think that he's going to chop up Ortega early. Um, Ortega's likely going to lose the first round. Uh, he might even lose the second round. But like you said, round three, like the end of round two, beginning of round three, that is when he starts to put it together. Um, you know, and we've seen him handle really good grapplers in the past, like Tiago Tavares and Diego Brandao, who's another really strong jiu-jitsu competitor. Even on the ground, he's able to uh, really implement his game there and find the finish. Um, if Moicano can keep it on the feet, I think that he can, like I said, chop Ortega up with his kicks and cruise to a decision. But Ortega, he has such good scrambles, and he can get so wild and so unpredictable on the feet. I think that that can throw off Moicano. And I think that Ortega can capitalize on that and look to get the fight to the ground, where I do think he'll have the advantage with his explosiveness. Um, like I said, I think Kano will have success early. He'll win the first round, probably will win like maybe the the first half of the second round. Uh, but then towards the end of the second round, I think Ortega will start to take over. He'll start to fight smarter. He'll kind of figure Moicano out. And by the third round, I think that he can keep the fight on the mat and eventually lock in a submission. Might be that really strong triangle choke that he's, of course, known for, but it could be any number of things. So while the Moicano decision wouldn't surprise me, I do got to go with Ortega based on how dangerous he is late in the fight. Um, so my official prediction will be Brian Ortega via submission in the uh, third round. Okay, and with that, we will uh, move on to the uh, next televised prelim. We have a catchweight uh, fight at 140 pounds between Aljamain Sterling and Hennen Burrell. This will be at 140 instead of the original 135 because Burrell is not allowed to cut to 135 anymore. The uh, commission told him that he couldn't do it. After, I believe at 177, when he had a really boxed weight cut, I believe that was the one where they had to uh, cancel his fight uh, and replace him with yeah. Jeff Soto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the one um, that Jeff Soto. Yeah, yeah, because he was supposed to have his rematch with Dillashaw then, but then uh, it had some real struggles cutting weight. And so Commission's not going to let him cut down the bantam weight anymore. So he's cutting down to 140, and he'll be facing all Jermaine Sterling. So... I guess going into it, Sterling, um, I still think he's a really good prospect in this division. He has great grappling, really strong submissions. Like, he's like a physically strong bantamweight. He has some serious power in his chokes. Um, Like I said, he's still a good prospect, but he's looked a bit questionable lately. Um, So he came up short against uh, Brian Carraway. He did very well early on but his career kind of filled him, and Caraway was able to take over. Then he fought Rafael Afonso, which was another decision loss for him. It was a very close fight. I think you could have made the argument either way. Um, and then in his next fight, he fought Augusto Mendez, where he got back in the wing collar with a unanimous decision. Now, the biggest problem with Sterling for me is that while he's very athletically gifted, like I said, he's very strong, he has great wrestling and grappling, he can be extremely tentative in his fights. He just cannot seem to put his his foot on the gas pedal and really and really put the pressure on when he needs to, and that's really held him back. I think that if he had maybe uh, exerted some more some more pressure in the in the Asuncao fight, he might have won that one. You know, I think that if he did more 
if he implemented more in the Mendez fight, I think that that would have been an even more dominant win for him because even that was kind of a, a, a close win for him as well. Um, so yeah, it's he he's a very gifted fighter, but he can be very he can be unreliable just because he can be frustrating to watch because you want him to exert more, but he just kind of seems to be too too hesitant at times. Now he'll be fighting. Former bantamweight champion Henan Barrow. Barrow was once one of the pound-for-pound best guys on the planet, but he has hit a serious decline since that first loss to Dillashaw. Um, he tried it. He tried out at featherweight for a while, but that didn't really work out for him. So he's going a little bit lower to this one. Um, so after that second loss to Dillashaw, he then came up short to Jeremy Stevens, lost a fight of the night. Um, and then he, in his last fight, got a win over Felipe Nover. And even though he won, Barral just, he did not look himself in that fight. You know, he he looked like a fighter, just kind of a shell of the same of the champion that we once saw. He really lacked that killer instinct that once made him so dangerous. And he just he put on a very underwhelming performance against someone like Felipe Nover, who like I mean we were expecting Brown to just run through him, but it was a fairly competitive fight every round, and so yeah, Brow he's just he he has not been the same since he first lost to Dillashaw. He he looks like a totally different fighter. Um, yeah, pretty bad decline for him. But uh, Matt, how do you see this fight playing out? Last part that you said, I mean, Dillashaw, he ended Burrell's career, in my opinion. I mean, that's what Dillashaw did. And the first mm-hmm. the first fight of theirs, he derailed his career. The second fight, he ended it. Dillashaw yeah. is still in Hennon Burrell's mind. He seems shot. Like, Hennon Burrell seems like a shot fighter. He He's tentative in his fights. He doesn't have that killer instinct anymore, it seems like. The... The speed isn't there. I, I thought he looked better at 145. You know, the Jeremy Stevens fight was a war. It's hard to beat Jeremy Stevens in a war. That's not, you know, that's not a big deal. And then, you know, he fought Philippe Nover. Who, that, that, the competition between Philippe Nover and Jeremy Stevens is huge. You're going from Jeremy Stevens, who's a top 10 fighter, who's one of the most violent fighters in the history of the UFC's latter weight classes, Again, I'm starting to realize we've talked a lot about Jeremy Stevens on this podcast. But yeah, no, it's, it's all good. <laughs> you're, you're going sponsored by Jeremy Stevens. You're going, oh, yeah. <laughs> from, you're going from Jeremy Stevens, who's just, you know, one of the best to ever do it. Maybe not his record doesn't show it, but he's a tough out every time. To Philippe Nover, he was competitive with Jeremy Stevens, and he was competitive with Floyd Nover, and he should not have been. That should have been a whitewash. Going into that fight, that was that was supposed to be a confidence builder for him, was to go in, yeah. thrash Floyd Nover, and kind of take his place back to where he once was. Did not go that way. Floyd Nover is a savvy vet. I will give him that. Didn't go that way. So now you have Aljamain Sterling coming in. And another thing, a point I'd like to make is, Henan Burrell best be glad that this commission will not let him cut to 135. Because yeah. I believe the saving grace of this fight is that he only has to cut the 140. He only has to cut five more pounds than 145. Because I don't think he can make 135 is what I think. I think going from 145, 
having and he seems to have some body fat on him in the Floyd and Over fight, which is fine. You know, he's getting older, he can support and the frame is gonna widen out. That's what always happens to fighters late in their career, except the specimens that we see. So what I think him trying to make one thirty five is just it's kinda killing. Coming from going from full, you know, being nutritionally sound, going from that to 135 to where he's draining his body is the saving grace that they're only making cut five more pounds. And I still think it's going to drain him. Now, on Aljamain Sterling part, we know what Aljo can do. He, he His stand-up is kind of rudimentary. He's tricky on the feet, He's it's but it's pot shots. He's not going in there throwing combinations. He's forcing combinations like he did in his last fight against Augusto Mendez. He was forcing combinations because he's trying to become more of a striker to give his wrestling game that much more of an edge. So when he's on top of you, you're in some trouble because you're not getting off and, or you're not getting him off because he's such a powerful fighter and he's so powerful as a wrestler on top. So Aljamain Sterling, I still think he's going to be what we think. I think that's a future title, you know, contender in the, you know, not in the making, you know, how he started his UFC career 4-0 against Mizugaki, Hugo Viana, uh, Johnny Eduardo. Those are great wins. He ran to Brian Caraway, who's underrated. He's one of the best at 135. Then he ran to Hafiel Asuncao, who behind the big three in Cruz, Garbrandt, and Dillashaw, Hafiel Asuncao's right there. And he had a good mm-hmm. fight against Augusto Mendez. I think the more that they build Aljo, as long as his confidence isn't shaken, I think he built confidence off the Sunset fight and the Mendez fight. I'm picking Aljo by decision. You know, Hendon Burrell could come in and throw all the crazy shit that he can throw with the kicks, the spinning kicks, the really technical striking multi style that he has. That could happen. I could be wrong. I just don't think I am. I'm picking Aljo by decision, and I think we're going to see more of an incline on Aljo's career and just the steady declines going to become steeper for Hennon. Yeah, yeah. I think that if if that fight with Felipe never didn't happen and Barrow was coming off of his loss to Jeremy Stevens, I might lean closer towards Barrow just because he did, even in a loss, he looked better in his fight with Stevens than he did against Nover. But he just, he looked so inactive against Nover. He looked like a guy who just, you know, like, like he like he almost didn't want to be there. Like you said, he should have just ran through Nover. Like, no disrespect to him, but Brow, he's beaten some of the best guys in the division. And we just, we, we thought that it was going to be, like you said, a confidence booster for him. And it wasn't. It was a close competitive fight. And based off of that, I just, yeah, I can't pick Henan Burrell here. I have to go with Aljamain Sterling. I think that Sterling, yeah, he's a little bit, he's tricky on the feet, um, a little bit unorthodox, and guys kind of struggle to get a read on him, even though that style also plays into him being a little bit inactive at times. Um, But I still think that it'll be enough for him to avoid the power shots of Burrell, provided that Burrell even throws power shots in this fight. Um, And I think that Sterling can also uh, miss in his power wrestling as well and really control Burrell on the map while staying away from his submissions. So I see it going the same way. I have Aljamain Sterling the unanimous decision. I think he'll mix it up on the feet, eventually throw in some takedowns, and then uh, win uh, win on the judges' scorecards. 
All right. And with that, we'll move on to the featured prelim in the featherweight division. We have Ricardo Lamas taking on Jason Knight. This is a really, really good matchup here. I'm excited for this fight. So on one end, you have Ricardo Lamas, who he's been a solid competitor for, I mean, for years now. Um, he's fought some of the best guys in the division. You know, he's fought guys uh, like Max Holloway and Charles Oliveira and Dennis Bermudez and Hakran Diaz and Cub Swanson. Really good, solid competition. Um, he has good wrestling, very strong chokes, uh, re- really good grappler, and the striking has, has evolved pretty well over the years as well. But while Lamas has been a solid competitor throughout the years, and he's been within the top 10 for quite a long time, he always falls to top competition, to like like the real like elite elite of the division. He falls short, like his title fight against Jose Aldo, like his fight with Chad Mendes, like his fight with Max Holloway. He's a guy who can beat a good number of guys at 145, but when facing the champion or you know the top like two or three competitors, that's where he falls short. He just can't seem to break those those real elite powerhouse guys in his division. And that's really held him back. Now, he'll be taking on Jason Knight, who has looked really, really good in his UFC career. Jason Knight is 4-1 and one in the UFC. He came up short in his debut against uh, Kawajiri, but he's now riding a four-fight winning streak. And, man, he, I think he's, he's just looked better and better with each fight, honestly. Um, he has a very he sets a very heavy pace. He has very good scrambles, unorthodox striking, a lot of spinning attacks, a lot of strikes, some very weird angles on the ground. Like we said, good scrambles and an extremely active guard. I mean, you put you put Jason Knight on his back. He throws his legs up for triangles, Oma Platas, Dogo Platas. I mean, those are so rare that you that you hardly ever see them. But Jason Knight just throws those, those out there like they're nothing. And even if he doesn't get the submission with them, then he creates a scramble and he always keeps his opponents busy. And so he's just a very, very difficult guy for for many fighters to handle. Um, this will be a quick turnaround for Jason Knight. He just fought at UFC 211 where he fought Chaz Skelly and, and beat him by third round TKO. That was back in May. So... He hasn't had a ton of time to prepare for this fight, but nonetheless, stylistically alone, Jason Knight, I think, is a guy who can give a lot of issues for many guys at 145. Uh, I think this is a great matchup. Uh, Matt, how do you see this one playing out? Jason the Kid Knight is a force to be reckoned with in this division. He's no joke. No joke. He goes in there, he throws the leather the entire fight. He gets better as the fight goes on, which is an important aspect in elite fighters. I mean, the more he the and another big part of his game is the mental games he plays during fights. The constant talking to his opponent, like he did against Alex Caceres, the constant mm-hmm. just essentially cursing at them and daring them to do something, daring them to engage because he knows that he's going to get further into the water and they will drown before he does. It's very similar yeah. to you know a lot of vicious strikers you know of days past like. Once again, I don't want to bring up like Robbie Lawler. That's who he, he reminds me of. Robbie Lawler and Cowboy Cerrone, who are fighting later on the card. More, more cowboy and technique, but more Robbie with Robbie's ferociousness and loving of the battle itself. 
So Jason Knight is going to be good in this weight class, and he's going to be good for a long time. His not care at he's not worried about what you're he does not care about what you're doing at all. That what what the opponent is doing is not weighing in on his mind. He's worrying up Jason Knight's worried about what he's gonna do and how he's gonna inflict damage on you. Now, to say that also, he's he's a brawler, but he's an intellectual brawler and there is a difference to be made. This is not Leonard Garcia. This is not guys who go in there, throw you know, swang and bang Stand there and trade the whole fight. And if I get knocked out first, whatever. If you get knocked out first, whatever. No, he goes in there and he brawls intellectually. He picks you apart. He just wants to throw hands the entire time. And he can just outsmart you, but also outbattle you. And that's his game. Now, he's facing Ricardo Lamas, who is the most underappreciated featherweight since the inception of the featherweight division. He's been a perennial top five featherweight his entire UFC career. Since he has been in the UFC at featherweight, he has been a top five featherweight the entire time. I mean, first win was against Cub Swanson in the U.S. Or no, Matt Grice, then Cub Swanson. His first official win was against Cub Swanson. He's beat guys like Swanson, Coke, Hatsu Aoki, Hawker and Diaz, Dennis Ramirez, Diego Sanchez, Charles Oliveira, which was a great fight. That Oliveira missed weight by a long shot, and, Char- and Ricardo Lamas still bullied him and got the guillotine. I just think Jason Knight going from Chad Skelly to Ricardo Lamas is a big jump. If this fight was maybe a year from now, I'd pick Jason Knight. I'm picking Ricardo Lamas, though. Just, I mean, it's Ricardo Lamas. This guy is top mm-hmm. five for a reason. He's constantly, the only guys he's lost to is Jose Aldo, Chad Mendes, and Max Holloway in the UFC, and there's a reason for that because he's, He's elite. People may not want to give him that benefit of the doubt, even me, because there's nothing really that he does. Was you know, wrestling's great. His top control is great. His striking's deceptively good. His elbows are really good, and his you know submission skills are really, really, really versed and really adept. But I just think Jason Knight. That's just too much on Jason Knight Knight's plate in this stage of his career. So I have Ricardo Lamas winning by unanimous decision. I think it's going to be a dog fight. I think it's going to be a great fight. I have Ricardo Lamas winning, though. Okay. I, you know what? I got to go with Jason Knight here. I think that I've just, I've been really, really impressed with him as of late. Um, a couple of things. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if Lamas won via decision because uh, Knight has struggled a little bit with wrestlers in the past, like his fight with Karajiri, where, uh, I mean, Karajiri is just like a power grappler. He, he takes you down, he gives you no space to work, and he just uh, batters you with ground strikes. And so, of course, Knight came up short there. And so, if Lamas was was able to implement that, like, really smothering wrestling style, I could see him grinding out the win and winning on the scorecards. But one thing that I think is big also. Uh, Lampus is now 35, um, which, you know, it's not old, but it's old to be fighting for a living. Um, not that he's, like, slowed down lately or anything like that, but I think eventually that could come into play here. Um, and whereas Knight, you know, he has a ton of experience, and he's he's still in his 20s right now. He's still uh, only 25. Um, a big thing also is that 
like I mentioned before, Jason Knight, his guard is so active. I mean, he, you know, he throws up his legs, throws her triangles, arm bars, omoplatas, platas, and he keeps his opponent really busy, like he, like he has Skelly. He just he didn't let Skelly get anything going because he just he had him busy with submission attempts. He was creating scrambles. He didn't let him get anything going on the ground. And that, I think, really demoralized the wrestler because he wasn't able to wrestle his opponent because Knight was just keeping him too active. I think that on the feet, I gave the edge to Knight. His unorthodox style gives a lot of people trouble. And while Lamas might be a little bit more technical, Knight will have more offense. I think that he can really swarm him. I think Lamas will have to fall back on his wrestling. But when he takes him down, he's going to have to deal with that really active submission game of Knight. And I, I don't know. I think I think that I, I have to go with Knight here. I think that uh, it'll be close, but Knight's pressure, his aggression, and his constant output of offense will help him, I think, get the decision win. With that, that concludes the first podcast here. That was the last prelim. Uh, in our next episode, we will go over the pay-per-view where we have uh, three title fights lined up as well as a couple of other really great matchups. It's going to be a lot of fun to break down, uh, but for now we're going to call it quits. Uh, Matt, thank you very much for helping me break down these prelims. Uh, Where can people find you at? People can find me at Twitter at Matt Cole Webb. So M-A-T-T-C-O-L-E-W-E-B-B. You can find me on Twitter. You can follow me. Not a lot. I mean, there's fighting on fight nights. I do that. I'm taking over. Fucky Monkey's Twitter handle this Saturday for the UFC on oh, Fox nice. card, which is awesome. So that will be a good time. So follow Funky Monkey also. All right. Sounds good. All right. And as always, be sure to like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Funky Monkey MMA. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Kane E. Miller. And we will see you guys next time when we break down the main card of UFC 214. Thanks for listening. Legends of the Cage, proud sponsor of Funky Monkey MMA Radio, helping legends of yesterday and tomorrow. You can find them on Twitter at TrueMMAHOF or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Legends of the Cage or go to the website, LegendsOfTheCage.com. That's Legends of the Cage together with Funky Monkey MMA Radio. You can listen to Funky Monkey MMA Radio on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Player FM, Cash Roller, the TuneIn Radio app, MMAFutures.com, LoveMMA.com, MMAWreckage.com, and FightBookMMA.com. For the freshest news and notes on all things MMA, get over to FunkyMonkeyMMA.com. Interested in sponsoring the show? Then send an email to FunkyMonkeyMMA at gmail.com. You're listening to Funky Monkey MMA.